Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. The following words are from today's featured guest, Douglas Spala, from his blog, Bird Dog in the City. Here we go. My gun dog odyssey began amid towering skyscrapers, squealing elevated trains in the bustling cityscape of Chicago. This story arises from a promise to my father that I would develop a gun dog with the prowess to hunt the storied Great Plains where I was raised. My path was lovingly crafted by my father, who preached to me both passion and respect for nature, its peoples and gun dogs. And while those words were meant to introduce Douglas's blog series about raising a bird dog in an urban environment, uh, they're so beautifully crafted, and I think um, they they are appropriately um, used to also introduce Douglas himself to our podcast podcast audience as the brand new or the newest member of the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever National Board of Directors. During today's podcast, we're going to cover Douglas's family, obvious connection to his father there, and he comes out loud and clear in his, in his own words. His upbringing um, as a kid growing up in rural Nebraska and his hunting roots, his passion, obvious passion for bird dogs, uh, particularly raising bird dogs in an urban environment, and the story of um, how Douglas got connected to Eric Peterson, who has been on this podcast a, a couple of times now, and his son, Casa, uh, through the pages of the Pheasants Forever Journal, um, and, and how that became a catalyst for kind of a, maybe a, a life embrace of conservation in the outdoors. I guess, you know, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, mouth already, Douglas. Um, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Um, it, so I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, it, with the reading of the Eric Peterson story, and we'll, we'll talk about this in depth, that changed the direction that maybe you were heading in life, and it got you... Uh, um, re-energized in the outdoors absolutely yeah yeah absolutely it was it was a very touching piece uh, a very unique piece and one that definitely altered my trajectory on this path to being a conservationist cool well all right let's let's start with hunting <laughs> because, <All right. laughs> um, you and i both have are fresh off uh wisconsin rough grouse hunting trips uh we were probably 15 to 20 miles apart in our camp, but we, we shared uh, a camp lunch together. But I haven't heard much of the story of how your your first experience in the grouse woods went. Um, tell me your expectations and how it matched up with the reality. Yeah. Uh, first, I got to thank Rich for hosting such a great camp. Uh, just being there and 
waking up with the flowing St. Croix in front of us, mm. this camp filled with people from Florida and Georgia and up here and the amount of dog power we had at that camp when you guys came and when you left <laughs> right. was just unbelievable. You know, me, I have this seven month old little black lab pup and to think at any given time, there's 20 dogs on the ground that can mm. run with us. That was just impressive to be around. And I guess I haven't even talked about the hunting yet. So That's my- <laughs> how, it, it was a really starting, like, at, you know, the, our camp is at a cabin, seven people, Dogs are in the cabin running around. Rich's camp, the one you uh, participated in, wall tents, uh, you know, campfires right along the St. Croix River, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's just a gorgeous setting. And, you know, I, and some folks would say, well, it was roughing it. He's like, well, it was roughing it in that there wasn't indoor plumbing, but boy, it was like harmony with nature there, wasn't it? Yeah, and let's quote Rich. He says, you don't need to suffer. And he's exactly right. You have wood-burning stoves there. Mm-hmm. He has a water pump for a shower there, so you can take showers outside. So you don't need to suffer. It is You are disconnected to the world because there is zero cell service. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, though, it's, it's pretty nice. I mean, I you sleep comfortably, think... but it's, it's pretty, pretty nice. It's pretty nice not to have cell service once in a while, too. Yeah, as the days went on, you appreciate that mm. because you're just – doing the camp life, hunting during the day. And without cell service, you you pull out your phone and do whatever and nothing works. Mm-hmm. So you just focused on yourself in that area. And I mean, the colors of the North Woods at that time, mm, the yeah. Aspen Pines, the dog work, all of it was just an amazing experience that I have never been a part of. And I'm so thankful to be a part of had, had having in that experience because it, it's different from me being a prairie person mm-hmm. to doing that is just well and that comes out loud and clear in your words your love of the great plains you know you lived in um, illinois but you grew up in in nebraska you live in kansas city area now mm-hmm. um for somebody that hadn't spent time you know chasing a bird dog around in in the in the woods with um with the leaves on and you know changing colors what um how different did that feel for you very different in just understanding where you're at Mm. when it's cloudy and you look up everything is the same so you can't really know unless you understand where you start from Mm. where you're facing what direction you're going shot lines Mm -hmm. are different because you're navigating these treetops if you will Mm -hmm. To figure out where you're going. And then I think one of my biggest learning curves was understanding how to move myself through the woods. Mm-hmm. I imagine at the the first day or two, Rich was probably pulling his hair out, listening to me bumble through <laughs> all of these trees and everything. And eventually he's like, don't take this wrong, but you kind of should set up a path for yourself when you walk through the mm-hmm. woods. And I was like, you are right, because I see the people who are more experienced kind of glide through the trees as opposed to me just barreling through everything with my gun and my sling on my back. And as the days went on, you get to feel the feel of how walking through those can be a little easier if you kind of set your path through. And Mm -hmm. in the prairie, you can just walk. I can go right, left, back, whatever in there, and you're fine. Here, you need to kind of know which direction you're going. That, that's a really uh, adept 
perception because I I have heard that frequently for folks that go into the woods for the first time and they they try to walk a straight line. And it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen <laughs> because you, you really do have to pick your path through the aspen and mm-hmm. or the popple, the the alders and the birch, and you're kind of. It's a little bit like the matrix, right? Where you're you're looking at zeros and ones and you're like, oh, there's a gap there and there I'm gonna shoot that gap. And at the same time you're trying to, you know, watch your dog and Or per- listen to the dog. Listen to the the dog with the bells, mm-hmm. right? Or where the, or maybe they don't even have a bell on, but trying to figure out where they're gonna be, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then a flush, and we were talking about this um before we hit record. Um I think it's incredibly difficult to grouse hunt um, when it's a windy day hmm. because hmm. trying to hear where the bird's flushing from and trying to pick your path and the a shooting lane, you know, it really is like Keanu Reeves in the Matrix <laughs> trying, to, <laughs> trying to add all those variables together. It, but then conversely, you know, a person like me grew up in the woods and then you know, goes to the prairie for the first time. It's like, well, how how on earth would anybody get lost down here? <laughs> right. Yeah. And you go over one hill, and you're like, I have no idea. Truck it. <laughs> <laughs> this hill looks like the last hill. Looks like the last hill. Oh man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Where's my dog at? Six hundred yards in front of me. Oh, all right. <laughs> so it is. It is really fun, and I think that's the beauty of of hunting new places, right? Because you see. I mean, you get to chase a different bird generally and experience a new landscape, experience a different culture, different food, different craft beer, whatever mm-hmm. it is. It, you know, you you experience travel through the eyes of um, of a bird hunter with your with your dog. And I think that's really interesting. And it's nice to do that with people who are accustomed to this style. So when you went when you came to camp. I was asking you about the leaves and the trees and what this experience is like. And for someone like me, who's very comfortable back in the plains, but very novice in this area, it's nice to be able to ask those questions to you Mm. guys and figure out what is the best way to go about this. And it almost is to me is like you guys are almost tacticians when it comes to this stuff, because you're looking at different groves of trees mm-hmm. and saying, oh, those are young aspens or those are old mm-hmm. or th- the elders are in this particular part. So be wary because this is very grousy right. or this is very good for woodcock. And it's just fun. And I think another part is the pointing. And I left there with a greater, I don't want to say I, I enjoy the pointing dogs all the way. <laughs> <laughs> and for listeners, Douglas is a, a hardcore fan of Labrador retrievers. But I definitely have a soft spot growing for them after that <laughs> experience. And I know my friends who have pointers are going to be happy to hear that. But it's good. And I, I love when you hear those bells clang and then mm-hmm. it stops and you rush to the dog. Mm-hmm. But to me, at the first couple of days, it was like falling over getting there because I'm so excited to get on one. But have no idea how to navigate through those woods, but it was it was an it was a fun experience and I, I hope other people get to share in that whole environment because it's very different, but it is it is eye opening and I left with the greater appreciation for that style of mm. hunting. And you you mentioned you have a seven month old pup. How did your pup do? We put her on the ground a couple of times and she, 
I had zero expectations for her, mm-hmm. and I got zero out of her. So <laughs> it was fun to let her run and get moving around, but she is not going to be a woodcock dog, I don't think, ever. And it was funny to introduce her to the chain gang like style, mm-hmm. or the cable gang like mm-hmm. style. Uh, she did not enjoy that at all. And to me, it was uh, good to see because at any time there's 15 20 dogs there they're all mm. sitting on the cable and they're just sitting quiet mm. and everything and then i have my little pup over here crying and trying to pull off mm. and i was thinking all right this is a good thing i should practice at home because if i continue to go to camps like this it's good for us to have that skill learned with her so she can cooperate with these pointing dogs sure. who sure just want a point not everyone's trying to love you and i think that's what the lab thinks and no, it's it, you sit over there, sit on the cable, and relax until I pull you off. Right, yeah. <laughs> and it, it, you you've touched on it a couple of times. So often you go to grouse camp and a woodcock hunt breaks out, and <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, that was the case for many days this past weekend uh, because it was virtually peak migration mm. across the north woods, and, and I think you guys experienced that as oh, well, right? I mean, well, there that, was lots of wood, and we had incredible success on the woodcock mm. out there and they were everywhere and that was fun because they seemed to hold a little better than the grouse absolutely so you really could get a good beat on them mm. and we had a lot of success with woodcock uh, out there have you had a chance to eat any yeah we uh breasted a bunch of them out or uh plucked a bunch of them and then at the camp they put that uh, salt, what kind of celery salt on them and fry them over the fire and you just eat them like that. And they're, they're really good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was like a full trip. You know, wake up in the river, wake up next <laughs> to the river, go do your woodcock hunting and come home and eat them at dinner. And it was a great, great experience. Yeah. And they, they tasted pretty good. I, w- I imagine they were good and they were. Yeah. Yeah. I love wood. I think they're so underappreciated for, they're hunting, you know, they do hold so well. They're in beautiful places at the beautiful time of the year. And, yeah. And um, I just, I really enjoy eating them. Just like you said, a little bit of seasoning, flash grilled. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you can make them taste like a tenderloin pretty easily, I thought. I mean, we were eating them right off the the, the body there. It was, it was great. Um, really? Th- okay. So after they were plucked, you were eating them full, full body. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think the roads are even pretty out there. Mm. There's a, I don't know if it's like a red, reddish colored dirt that we were in. Iron ore. Okay. Yeah. 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 And just driving that road and then seeing all these oranges and reds and yellows up (laughs) with these white trees. It's just like, wow, these are incredible. It's incredible landscape just to take in. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was cool. Yeah. It was cool. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you got to experience that. That's near and dear to my heart. And I think it um, experiencing new kinds of hunting makes you um, a better hunter no matter what you transition to. And we'll, we'll transition to kind of your story and go to the Great Plains. But before I do so, uh, I'll uh, shout out to the South Dakota Department of Tourism and South Dakota Game Fish and Parks. There is no thrill like a walk through a field in the world's greatest place to hunt pheasants, South Dakota. Learn about guides, lodges, and public land at huntthegreatest.com. I've mentioned a couple times you grew up um, in a bird hunting family in Nebraska. Uh, and, and 
you know, I started off putting words in your mouth. At least I read your own words. But um, put your your life story um, into your own words. So tell us about where you grew up and, and kind of the family background and, and how hunting fit into that. As As you know, I was adopted at a young age by my parents today, and we grew up in Nebraska. My family, I do come from a hunting background. My father hunts, my brothers hunt, even on my mother's side, my grandfather and uncles on that side hunt. Uh, before we got on here today, I was talking to one of my uncles, and my, one of my mother's brothers, my uncles, and he was sending me pictures of grandpa and him going out with a golf, a golf bag full of roosters. <laughs> I was asking, well, what is that? Yeah. Oh, well, in Nebraska, they used to be everywhere, so we'd go out and golf. <laughs> bring our shotguns and we come home you know shoot 18 and also have a you know a limit of, of roosters with us so <laughs> growing up in that environment hunting was always a part of who who we are mm. and from a very young age my father began by introducing me to the native american tribes that existed where we lived at in nebraska mm. and understanding and where was that what part of nebraska so we're on the east side i grew up in West Point and in Fremont, so northeast and east side. Okay. And we he would introduce me to just the way that they appreciated nature, if you will, the original conservationist. Mm-hmm. And as I grew up, we would do nature walks and camping and getting getting us outside more and more. And was your was your dad Native American origin or just had an affinity for that? perspective in life correct the latter he had an affinity for that perspective in life and one of our dear family friends was a priest at the Winnebago tribe which was close near West Point Mm. and so that was just a big part of my upbringing Mm. moving forward when I turned 12 and in Nebraska when you can take your hunter safety and start hunting is when my dad let me go pick out my first dog and that was Shadow Mm. and from that point on being able to train that dog myself, well, it wasn't really good at 12. It was fun. But growing up in that environment with my father and my brothers to go out and hunting, it was just a big thing we did. And I played a lot of sports as a kid, football, basketball, track, baseball. And that was all great. And I, I really am a big sports fanatic. But the special times, points in my life growing up were being in duck blinds, hunting on the prairie, and being with my family. And as I grew up into college and law school and Moving out, the dates that were always circled on my calendar was going back home, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. Mm. And that's always just been a big family time for us. So hunting has always just been a big part of my life. Is that true of your siblings? Yes, my older siblings. Correct. Yeah, yeah. they always, they are really big into that. And they are, they fish as well a bunch too. So it's it's very true. My younger siblings, not so much. Mm. It, it, why why do you think that is the connection to hunting in has created such a significant bond with your it seems like with your dad you know in all your writing um you talk very specifically about the bond that's created with your dad i think cuz in those moments when we are out in the middle of the prairie or in the blind or or near the platte river it's just him and i or him and i and his friends or him and i and my brothers in Nothing else really matters when you're out there. Hmm. Who you are, what you do, where you're from, what you look like. None of that stuff really impacts the quality of hunt you have. Mm-hmm. 
aside from maybe your experience and what you know what you're doing out there, but you're just kind of free and able to talk and mingle and share stories. And I remember as a kid, a lot of times we'd go with my father's friends. I would just love to sit there, hammer calls or whatever, and (laughs) listen to the stories about them hunting when they were young Hmm. or with their families or with their parents and just thinking, how cool is this tradition that I get to do with do this with my father the same way he could do it with his brother and his father. Now, technology and access and everything has changed, but the idea that this very simplistic thing is something that we all get to do and continue to do, hopefully. Hmm. And How old were you when you were adopted? 18 months. Okay. So, that, I mean, realistically, that's the only life you ever know. Correct. Right. For all intents and purposes, nothing else is different. This, this is my family. Right. Yeah. Right. And people ask, and I say, no, that this is my family. And, and, and if I recall your story correctly, um, a couple of your other siblings were uh, adopted, and then a couple of your siblings were natural-born um, children from your, your mom and dad. Yeah, so there's three older brothers, John, Jim, and Jeff, and then I call ourselves round two. <laughs> <laughs> and there's about 24 years in between us. Really? That's a long time in and of itself. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. So then there's Douglas, Michael, and Laura, and all three of us on the round two, if you will, are adopted. Okay. So it was really nice to be able to have older brothers as well as my father really ingratiate me into this outdoor life. and. My older brother, John, was a, he was more of a waterfowl guy mm. than an upland guy. And my father's more of an upland guy than a waterfowl guy. So that's why I have this passion for both. Uh-huh. Because Tuesday we hang out with Brother John. <laughs> Saturday we go out with my father. Yeah. It's, so it's different experiences, but that's why I share passion for both of those parts of the sport. Right. And so you grew up in eastern Nebraska. You get into uh, University of Chicago, right? University of Illinois. U- University of Illinois in Chicago. In Chicago. Law school. Mm-hmm. And at what point, because the entire blog series you wrote about for us or in, um, working on right now and finishing up is about raising a bird dog in an urban environment, mm-hmm. which the genesis of that happened in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Tell us about how that came to be yeah so i moved there from law i moved there to chicago for law school and unfortunately the first day that i moved there for law school my first lab shadow passed away Mm. and i went through law school and finished that and shortly after i finished my father was diagnosed with cancer Mm. so i kind of packed up my stuff moved home to help him get through all of that. He went, he had prostate cancer and then immediately following that non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Jeez. So I kind of put my life on hold for a bit to be able to be there for him because like we talked about earlier, my parents gave me so many gifts and opportunities growing up. And although they didn't fully appreciate it, I felt like it was a duty for me to take care of him in his time of need because they picked me up and gave me all these great advantages in life and i wanted to do that be there for them if things went bad for Mm -hmm. him so i stayed home 
and I'd go to all of his treatments. I'd talk to all of his doctors. A lot of them end up being hunters, which is kind of funny. So we don't really? talk about that. That's cool. Um, and as he started to get better, he kind of said, hey, it's time for you to go back and go pursue your career. And how, how much time passed? Uh, I want to say about nine months. So okay. I was home for a, a while. Uh-huh. And I, was, I didn't want to leave. And he said, go. Mm-hmm. Get yourself a dog. Train it there, and then bring it back, and we'll hunt. We'll hunt when when the fall comes. And I think for him, it was a way to have a positive target to look forward to get through all the treatments. Mm -hmm. And for me, that promise kept me tied to him and home and really motivated me to be better at my career, but also it gave me an outlet. Mm Because being so far from home for a long time, you get homesick. Mm -hmm. And being able to wake up every day, take that dog out, train, and go to work was a way for me to stay connected to home, but also make my parents proud that I'm pursuing this legal career that they want for me and I want for me. And you're 19, 20, 21 this time? No, this would be law school. Oh, 25, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right, 26, okay. 27. Right, you had already done your undergrad. Yes. Okay, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So, yeah. Cool. And tell us about the pup. That that first pup, a, a, a unique name. Um, so where'd you get the pup? How and you know bringing the pup to the city? Uh, tell the story of uh, yeah, we Shunka got War. Shunka O'War. We got her out of a breeder in Kansas near outside of Kansas City, and Shunka is a Lakota word for dog. And then O'War we added like the Spanish O'War, so dog of war. I okay. thought it was kind of a cool name. We give. Native American names to all of our dogs as a way to show respect to those people that were here before us. And, you know, just acknowledge that. And so Shunko Award came to me. And what was what were we go, where are we going with this? Well, d- uh, bringing the dog into the city where okay. you're living because so, y- you and I have talked about this yeah, a little yeah. bit. And there's some damn funny stories, so I, I'd like to pull those out a little bit. Yeah. So we lived in a. High-rise apartment in the middle of the Gold Coast in Chicago, 23 stories up. And <laughs> that was our life. Lawyer during the day, dog trainer, outdoor enthusiast in the morning and the evening on the weekends. <laughs> and it, it was a good it was a good balance for me because that young attorney life is filled with the billable hours. Mm-hmm. And it's a good way to re, – it was a good release valve for me to be able to have that dog balance my life out. Because mm. you need balance, and she gave that to me. Okay. And you've told me stories about, you know, waking up at, I don't know, 5 a.m., right? And that's non-billable time, (laughs) right? And training your pup in in downtown Chicago and some of the looks and stories. Tell me a fun fun story that – that you know you uh, you always laugh about when you think about training a dog in downtown Chicago. So, (laughs) so we lived in our high-rise apartment. Across the street was a bike rental, and I'd wake up five, six in the morning, and take the dog to Lake Michigan usually. Mm. And it was a bit of a walk, so sometimes I would rent a bike across the street. There's, they're called divvy bikes, and you just pull them out and ride them. Mm. So one morning I wake up, take the elevator down, rent a bike, and get ready to go. Across the street from us was a diner and a four a.m. club. So we're out at five, so people are rolling out of this club and rolling to this diner. 
And here I am with my backpack, my bird dog, getting ready to ride a bike. So is your Lake. bird dog in the backpack? No, she oh, okay. rides next to me. It's <laughs> okay. a good way to get her warmed up, too. Sorry. Yeah. Right. yeah. So here I am, me on the bike, my backpack full of dog training stuff, my bird dog to my right, and we're getting ready to bike out to Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. There's people from the clubs mm-hmm. moving from the club over to the diner to get their meals and to get the grease into the stomach yeah yeah, whatever they're doing (laughs) we've all been there (laughs) so we get to pedaling and something startles shunka Uh and she's on the right side and darts across in front of my bike on the left side gets hung up on the tire i flip over the bike out on over the over the handlebars and flip onto the sidewalk she gets hung up on the bike and is pulling this bike down the street. And I hear these people in the background, ah, oh, what's going on? Laughing, crying, shrieks. And I am, my arms are bloodied up. My face is bloodied up. It's like five in the morning. And I just know these people are coming from a club and just laughing at me as I had this huge bike accident in front of our, in front of our building to get to the, the lake in. Soon after that, we got a vehicle. <laughs> oh, so what was she chasing? We don't. I don't know. She yeah, just, she just got started. <laughs> pulled the bike out in front of me. I crash. She crashes. She's pulling the bike uh, down the street, and it's like one of those things where, man, if I had a car here, this would have never happened. Yeah. <laughs> it was an urban goose. Yes, it, yeah, right? something, something, right? And that was. A traumatic experience for me because I was just <laughs> embarrassed. And it was 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm sure no one ever remembered it. Mm. But I just had this vision that there'd be a, a little blurb on the news or something mm. that says, oh, boy with dog crashes on Orleans <laughs> Avenue outside the 5 a.m. diner or something and just videos of me doing this. And eh, whatever. It, you, you know, you, you've told me about how, you know, you, you've done hunt tests with, with Shunka and – but what really is stuck is when you went back to Nebraska to, you know, your dad, thankfully, fully recovered from, from cancer, cancer-free today, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, doing wonderfully, which is terrific news. Mm-hmm. Um, and you bring Shunka back to go hunting. That, that's a, that was an important part of your story, isn't it? Very important. And to be able to have those experiences is was so special to me because I know for a while there that those opportunities might not have happened. Mm-hmm. And to be able to share in those opportunities after my father was recovered and after she was ready to go was very, very special to me. And I, I cherish those memories dearly. And she turned out to be a pretty good Pretty good bird dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, she hunted in 11 states, waterfowl, upland. Wow, 11 she, states. Because it was it was easy to knock off states because I drive from <laughs> Chicago to Nebraska. <laughs> so I sometimes I go up to Wisconsin, Minnesota, Iowa down, or come down <laughs> to Indiana, Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska up. Mm-hmm. And so it was it was easy to knock off a bunch of states. Sure. But like the grouse woods, it's to me the hunt test game. I'm not really qualified for that. That's I, because of where I live and what I do. The precision there is I, I can't always attain that level. So my tests, I like to say, 
are being able to go to a new environment and succeed. Mm. So being able, able to shoot, hunt outside of the suburbs of Chicago or hopefully one day, we'll see with this new pup, I don't know, to be able to do the grouse woods with my pup would be an accomplishment. That's a test, and that's a ribbon that I really, really would want. Mm. Mm. But I also think, and you've, you've touched on this too, you go back to Chicago after your dad's starting to recover from cancer and feels like you put, uh, like you said, an outlet from the law firm, but it also an outlet from the worry, and you put a tremendous amount of effort into Shunka's training. And, you know, that that made an, an amazing bird dog, right? Because you put so much, so much focus as part of a promise to your dad, mm-hmm. right? To, and you wrote it in your own words. Um, this story arises from a promise to my father that I would develop a gun dog with the prowess to hunt the storied Great Plains where I was raised. My path was lovingly crafted my fa- by my father. I re- you know, I'm reading that for the second time here because it's so beautifully written, but it is so poignant. Um, and w- what's heartbreaking is is Shunka, um, I hope I keep pronouncing You're that correct. right. You're correct. You're exactly okay. correct. Um, 11 states, but she was only able to do that in about two years. Yeah, she lived to be three and a half. And, and, three, I, will, three and, a half. and I will say, while we were doing the what's called the city dog training, in Chicago, at the time, that's all I had. Mm-hmm. Looking back now, it's it's cool to think that I did it. But while I was doing it and living it, I didn't really think much of it because there's this promise that I have to deliver on, and she was she was the manifestation of that promise. So we, mm-hmm. I, was, I talked to my parents the other day about this, and we didn't really think it was a difficult thing to do at the time. But looking back, it's like, <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> There's lots of things in our life where we look back at it like, how did how did I do that? <laughs> right. And that's that's one of the things that I I thought has made that story so unique. You know, because it is an anomaly. Yeah. Training a bird dog to that level in an intermittent environment is is a challenge. Yeah. But if we want the tragedy, yes. Uh, last December, Shunka had been battling an abscess on her one of her lower ribs and eventually after a great season it bursts Mm. and put her into septic shock we took her to the vet and they tried to treat her but in 30 hours she passed away yes and to me it was a tough experience to go through because that dog had live with me day in day out through a lot of experiences and also was that promise to my father so I kind of felt in the initial grief stages that perhaps I had failed Hmm. on delivering that fulfilling all of the part of that promise and letting her go such a good such a good dog at three and a half was tough Mm -hmm. I I remember after she passed away I kind of packed all my stuff up and, and that was December 16th and I just gave up hunting for the rest of the year and yeah I just let it all go and that was that was tough for me um I got to say goodbye which is the which is important for my closure I got to say goodbye to her but it was difficult it was difficult <clears throat> thank you for sharing that story um 
you know, most of us that have had dogs, um, uh, you know, at some point, I mean, it, it's the, it's the common refrain. Uh, the worst thing about a bird dog is mm-hmm. that they're never around for very long. And um, it's a blessing and a curse mm-hmm. that we outlive them. Yeah. But the blessing is that they get at the, at their time of their life, they give us so many gifts mm-hmm. and so many wonderful memories. And when they're gone, you get to think back about all those wonderful times you had together. And although her life was short lived, I feel like she still is giving me gifts. I mean, with mm-hmm. the retriever, there's just so much enthusiasm and that <laughs> love for life. And to me, it's like, do I want to finish this workout? Do I want to finish this memo? Do I want to go to this meeting? Mm-hmm. Shunka would do it. Mm-hmm. She'd be excited to go. She'd be excited to get in the truck and go. So let's do it. Let's do it for her because I know she'd be passionate about it. You need it. a custom bumper sticker. <laughs> what would Shunka do? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I, I, I clearly we can hear in your voice how important that pup was. And, um, and I do agree that uh, Mashunka is still giving you gifts. Um, and I would say it helps me reach other people, too, after experiencing that loss, mm-hmm. going through grief and coming on the other side. It helps me understand when other people lose their beloved pet, mm-hmm. their beloved companion. And my hope as a person who's gone through that grief is that while it may be sad for now, that those sad feelings turn into happy memories in the future. And I know it hasn't even been a year yet, but when I think back on her and look at pictures and daydream, it's all happy. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's part of going through the grief process, but that's, that's my hope for other people who have those dogs and you just think, man, that collar's sitting there or that vest is sitting there. And I just hope that those sad feelings, and I like to say my Labrador-shaped hole in my heart, mm-hmm. solely fills with, Happy memories. Mm-hmm. So help me understand the sequence next, because um, about this time, um, as Shunka passed a year, was it a year ago? Yeah. December, so just Des- about. Yeah. About a year ago. Um, we published a story by Eric Peterson, the tremendous photographer, filmmaker of A Long Way Home, which mm-hmm. we, we just aired. Um, this fall here with pheasantsforever.org. But it, Eric wrote one of the most important stories that we've ever published in Pheasants Forever Journal called uh, To Make a Pheasant Hunter. And it's the story of Eric and his family. Um, he is a um, biological son, right, that, uh, born from he and his wife, and they have an adopted son from Africa. Um, so white... Caucasian family and an adopted African American fam um, son Casa, mm-hmm. and uh, which resembles your family, right? Um, how how did you come across that story? Well, I, I guess were you a, you a member of Pheasants Forever, and that that, that uh, article popped into your mailbox? Or tell us about how that came to be. So I am a member of Pheasants Forever, but. What happened is I listened to the podcast you had with him from last October, and I, mm-hmm. it was about you started talking about photography. Mm-hmm. And while I am a complete novice behind the lens, I was thinking this would be a cool podcast to listen to to just kind of figure out how to take better pictures. Mm. 
That's why I'm listening to it. And then you change the conversation to his article. And I'm listening to Eric's story and how he came to adopt Casa. And then as the conversation progresses, I'm just thinking, Eric seems like an awesome dude Mm -hmm. and has all these opportunities to give to this little boy so he can succeed in the world. But there's one thing that Eric acknowledges that he he feels like he lacks on, Hmm. and that is a role model that Casa, and you mentioned it too, a role model that Casa can relate to, Mm. a role model that looks like him. Mm. And I'm thinking in my head, hmm, we're both adopted. We both have multiracial families, and I'm, what, 32, 31 at the time? And I'm an upland hunter. Mm-hmm. I I think that <laughs> what Eric's looking for is what I can give him. Mm. I, I, I can be that role model or just figure out there mm-hmm. that holds himself up to be a good person and loves to upland hunt. Mm-hmm. So I messaged him. I said, Eric... You messaged Eric through Instagram? Instagram. Yeah. It's like, one, off the top, your photography is <laughs> dope. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but two, I want to be the person that mm. gives Casa the visual representation of what you're trying to look for him for, to do, mm. but also be a role model for people, for boys and girls like Casa or other people who think that the outdoor space isn't for them. Hmm. Because this is where I thrive. I've been doing this my whole life. Hmm. I have a dogs, the experience, the wherewithal, the means. I, I can do this. Let me do this for you. Give me the baton, Eric, and I will run with it. And I hope that I can deliver on what you're trying to look for for Casa. And while the, while the race is still going... Mm-hmm. I think I'm on the right path to doing that and helping Eric and Casa have that visual representation representation of someone out there who's who Casa can look up towards. Because as a kid, well, I loved watching all the hunting videos. I, I never saw someone that visually represented who I was mm-hmm. out there. Mm-hmm. But now I see it, and it's it's nice. It's heartwarming to see. And so... Uh, who did you, uh, as in terms of visual representation, uh, did you have childhood heroes, idols? Um, and, and it sounds like there was a complete gap there from an outdoors perspective. Yeah, I mean, I love sports. So growing up in the 90s, Michael Jordan was obviously mm. my great great one. Minnesota guy, I loved Dante Culpepper and Randy mm. Moss. Those are all my idols. Mm. But those guys weren't. Hunting or mm-hmm. outdoors. Uh, Randy likes to fish, though. Does he? Yeah. See, I'm not really a fisherman. Yeah, he does. He does. Yeah. See, I'm not really a fisherman. Right. Uh, and then from literary references, Deets from Lonesome Dove was, huh. uh, I think Danny Glover plays him in the uh-huh. show, um, was a big uh, figure for me. Mm-hmm. But never did I have it. And they could have been out there. I just didn't see them. Mm-hmm. Would I open a magazine or flip on the TV and see a black guy doing it? Mm. And it didn't bother me. Because I did it all the time, but I just never had someone that was doing it, and I never could see it. So my my role models were the athletes, the entertainers, the mm-hmm. actors, but never a person that actually hunted hmm. that looked like me. Right. What about in your circle of uh, friends in, in Nebraska? Anybody that filled that space at all? Not that we're black, no. Yeah. Hmm. So it's... It, and I never like longed for that, but 
I never saw it. Right. It's something that, you know, you know, as a kid growing up in the UP, Caucasian, I mean, I completely take that for granted, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, um, it, it is interesting to see how important that is. And I've heard it before, particularly with, 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 um, young girls and women. It's like, we need representation of, um, somebody to aspire to. And, you and know, just like the athlete, you know, you, right on. I grew up playing football and, you know, Randy Moss has a little touchdown dances. As right. a kid, you grow up learning his touchdown dances or right. everyone knows the Michael Jordan poses. You go and mm-hmm. play basketball and you make moves like him. But mm-hmm. I never, you wish, right? Right. <laughs> right. That's what I was. Yeah, yeah. I was getting to it. I was getting yeah. to it. <laughs> but you never see someone put on the gear and go out there and chase roosters or yeah. sitting sitting the blind blowing certain calls you just i never saw that as a kid huh. and when i heard eric say it on the podcast i was like i can do that for him Damn. or at least you know what i can try to do that for him so <clears throat> you know we can bag on social media an awful lot and there's a lot of trolls mm-hmm. right and there's a lot of negative that comes up but damn that's a pretty heartwarming thing you did what now i on one level, there's got to be some skepticism when Eric gets that message. You're like, who is this guy? <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so what was Eric's reaction? He's, I, he was very, very kind and welcoming about it. Right. But I imagine you're like, wait a second. This guy fits the bill of the thing I'm looking for, and he's like here trying to talk to me right. on Instagram message. And he wants to meet my son? And he wants to what? Meet, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I threw that off message, and he gave me a nice response back, and then that was kind of it. Mm. And I was thinking, how am I going to do this? Mm. I have this great dog. Let's just go hunt and do stuff. Mm-hmm. She passed away in December, which a couple months after I left the message, and I put everything away. And I kind of got down on myself because I was like, gosh, I told Eric I was going to do it, but I don't know how I could do it. I don't have a dog. Mm. And then I get a message from Nancy. Nancy Annisfeld, who's on the National Board of Directors. And she talks about how you guys had received my comment via Eric. Yep. So Eric, we had, ju- we had done the podcast, and Eric uh, forwarded your Instagram message, I think, to me and Logan, who was on the podcast with me, mm-hmm. right, about how, you know, here you are in the Upland space and, you know, African-American, you know, and it's like, isn't this amazing? <laughs> so we forwarded that to, to our board, and they took Nancy took the baton and reached out to you. Yeah, and while the comment wasn't very grammatically great <laughs> and nothing in as, hindsight, yeah. you're worried about that. Yeah. And I was uh, I was reading it back to my parents the other day, and they're like, "You you sound terrible in this comment." <laughs> And I was telling them, well, I was just emotional at the time. So, like, I just wanted to get the message out and send it. Uh, But when I talked to Nancy, she's like, are you going to get another dog? And I'm like, nah, I'm probably going to wait. She's like, well, I think you should get another dog. Mm. And so I thought about it, reflected, and I did. And Mm. then we worked on the series and... The Bird Dog in the Series. The Bird Dog in the Series series. And I have a a new pup. She's Mm. here. And I really think... At that time when I was pretty sad, still grieving, to have you guys come in, one, acknowledge the comment, but also hmm. ask me to write this series on the dog is a part of me that is will always stay so devoted to the Habitat organization hmm. because 
as I came out of that grief spiral, you guys were here to be to be like, write it, write another one, hmm. get another dog, show show people that you can do this thing, and I'm just excited to be here as a result of all of that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna take a pause here because I want you to talk about your new pup, but I am going to um, give a shout out to. Alps Outdoors, and a critically important uh, initiative that we have with Alps, and it fits so perfectly right here. Um, We're challenging all hunters to preserve America's outdoor lifestyle by taking a new, taking a new or lapsed hunter afield this year. This season, share your love for bird hunting, just like Douglas does, with someone who doesn't look like you. Or maybe someone who does look like you, like Douglas and Casa. Because our future as Uplanders depends on it. Learn more and take the mentor pledge at pheasantsforever.org slash mentor pledge or quailforever.org slash mentor pledge. Thanks to Alps Outdoors, a national sponsor and our partner in this incredibly important mentor initiative. Um, teaching new people to hunt. It's all about helping to save our upland lifestyle. All right. The story. Okay. I'm, I'm going to take a run at this. Na Kuta. Kutop. I had it written down even <laughs> and I butchered it. Na Kutop. And you call it. it um, I just shorten she, it. Right? It's a she. And I just she. call her Kutop. Kutop. All right. So you're going to get this pop. And we talked to you about uh, doing this blog series. And you've written, is it three or four now? Three. Three articles and one in the works. Two in the works. Two in the works. And about uh, raising a bird dog in the city, which is the city now is Kansas City, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You get a new gig. Um, So tell us about the pup where where Nakutope. A little bit better? Yes. There you go. <laughs> where, uh, where Kutop uh, came from and uh, kind of your experience raising, raising a pup in Kansas City. Yeah, so I got Kutop through one of the trainer, the pro trainers I work with out of a breeder, Mill Pond Retrievers in Maine. They, I mean, she was a mm. jet setter. They flew her when I got her. She flew from <laughs> she was a jet setter Boston to Dallas, <laughs> Dallas to oh, Omaha, wow. and then I picked her up. She was a full day flight. I wow. picked her up in Omaha. And so I got, I brought her home. We've written a couple of series about her and her name, Nakuto is the Comanche words for my fire. Hmm. And going back to talking with Nancy, working with you, remembering that baton that I told Eric that I would move forward. This dog is part of that process and she is my fire. She is my motivation. Mm. She is the manifestation of all the things that we're trying to do together to continue the mission of the Habitat Organization, mm-hmm. my own mission to promote conservation. My fire, not Kutope, call him Kutope, mm. is, is that. And I worked with the Comanche Nation Language Department on picking out a name, and I... We we can talk about dog names, and I know you're a big fan of different dog names, mm-hmm. and so am I. So the uniqueness is what makes mm-hmm. her so special to me. Mm-hmm. So she she's seven seven months now, and we've been training and living in Kansas City, 
And even back in Chicago, I would say an advantage that I have being in a metropolitan area is that I can go for a walk more in Chicago than Kansas City and see 100 people, 20 dogs. Hmm. And these dogs become very socialized at an early age. And that really brings out that character and experience in. We did gun introduction three weeks ago now, and she had, she was fine with it. And my dad says it's because she's around all those noises. We walk mm-hmm. and we hear nail guns or we heard trains or we hear cars and all these things. So all these noises, experiences, both auditory and visual, really help develop that young mind, mm-hmm. I think. And then also being around so many other dogs really – ensures that she's not overly aggressive mm-hmm. or and just is able to play with others well. Yeah. And so that's where we're at. And the season ahead, what what's your expectations? Year one for me is all about getting that pup used to traveling with us. Mm-hmm. So she came mm-hmm. on the rough grouse hunt. Did I expect her to just hunt grouse? No, not at all. But you Yeah, she's seven months old. Yeah. Right? What, what are we gonna do? And she did pretty good getting through the mm-hmm. woods and mm-hmm. stuff. But our goal is you learn how to ride on the in the road. You learn how to, well, now mm-hmm. sit on the cable gang. Mm-hmm. You learn how to be in the kennel for longer than I expect you to be in there. And also you learn when I drop you down in Minneapolis here, mm-hmm. Denver, Bozeman, or wherever we go, you can thrive in those environments as well because new areas aren't scary for mm-hmm. her. New people aren't always scary for her. Pavement, traffic in different areas aren't scary for her. Mm. But, but there's a flip side to this. When we go out to the rural areas, that's different to her. Because mm. everyone's like, you have a bird dog in a city. Yeah, but when I get the dog out of the city into the rural area, that's that's the anomaly for anomaly her. For her. So mm-hmm. also getting her familiarized with those outdoor spaces is, is important. Mm. So you bring – today starts a new journey for you, mm-hmm. right? So it's – we're coming up on – I don't even have a clock in here, but it, we're a couple hours away from your very first board of directors meeting um, as a member of the National Board of Directors for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And you have a unique set of uh, skills. You're a lawyer, um, work for the Army Corps of Engineers, obviously a passionate um, uplander, uh, dog lover, um, you have a unique uh, perspective compared to other people that ha- have been on the board. Mm-hmm. What what's what's sort of your expectation for the this phase of your journey here? What um, what are your hopes? Yeah, in no particular order. One is my legal ability to understand and navigate both for my career, public and private sector. Mm-hmm being able to add that legal diversity of thought into discussions Mm. or at least be able to proffer certain avenues that always consider the legal side of things. Mm -hmm. Because while I may think it's nice, and I I don't know about everyone else, but to have another lawyer in the room may be a good thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, we've had, you know, Charlie McElravey, Jerry Rodine. I don't think... You know, I think that's one of the um, niches you fill is that uh, there isn't a lawyer in on the board. Is there one right now? I'm, I don't know that there is. Is it McPherson? 
is it oh um your Brett? Brett Reber. Yes. Brett Reber, yes. yes. Yep. So we do have one um legal mind. Mm-hmm. Now we have And two. I'll be meeting him next week, I believe, in person too. So okay. it'll be nice to do that. But yeah, so the legal part obviously is one aspect I bring. Y- youth and younger is mm. another one that perhaps is good because that gives you um, a diversity of thought in just – I'm in a diff- different generation than someone that is currently on the board. Mm-hmm. I, I think of – The majority anyways. The, yeah, the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously I'm a black man, and I think having those eyes mm-hmm. and voices in those discussions are also important not because I'm driving a, a personal agenda, but just to have you there to say, hmm, does this thing look all right? And I don't need to speak for everyone, but mm-hmm. just to have that voice there, I think is better than not having one right. of those better voices. Better than the there. absence of it. Correct. Mm-hmm. And while I, I, I don't fill that void for how many millions of black Americans there are, it's just good to have a, me there to at least move the discussion and consider mm-hmm. things from a different lens or a different angle. Mm-hmm. And you've been volunteering. I mean, they, that, I think that's important to note and recognize that, yeah, we, we asked you to do this blog series. Um, and you said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll donate that time, that mm-hmm. effort. Um, photography, right? Mm-hmm. You, you covered the cost of all the amazing photography yep. in there. It's, um, this isn't, um, this isn't something that... Uh, this isn't a money grab. I, well, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. Nobody comes to Pheasants Forever <laughs> from money grab, Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Right. Good to know. <laughs> but it, it, I, I guess the point is it's completely authentic, right? I mean, you... You're right. That's exactly what I'm pas- trying to do. Passionately. I mean, if anybody doesn't hear you talk about your dogs and know the authenticity, talk about your father who introduced you to bird hunting. Mm-hmm. And talk about your 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 own passion for the intersection of all those things into the uplands and being a person that's raised their hand to Eric Peterson to me right to create this this blog series. Um, thank you. You know, I, I don't know that I've, I've said thank you um, <laughs> personally, but you know we need more folks like you and i'm i don't mean that in any demographic sense of the word other than your spirit of giving right we need people to volunteer to yeah. to be chapter officers they in the age of 2021 when people are extremely busy and sort of unplugging from society in so many ways you're plugging in as as a volunteer and we need more people like you yeah, and I donating my time is is fun because oh, the dog training, the hunting, I I do that because it's what I enjoy. Mm. But to be able to work with a photographer, work with Carp on putting these series together, to me is is so much more fun because I can share these, I think, cool stories mm. to people, and I hope that inspires others to start on these journeys as mm. well. Pick up a bird dog or go to the North Woods or come to Minneapolis and try to find a way to volunteer because you can do it. And I'll, I'll continue to write and take photos and show you what I'm doing. And there'll be a lot of times where I fail, but take my failures as opportunities for you guys to learn from me. Mm. Cause I've done this, the hunting at least 
for a large part of my life. And I'll mm. continue to do it. And follow along as I share what I'm doing, what I'm learning, where I'm going. If you have a question, reach out. I'd love to help you. I'd love to be a a a a, a figure for people to think, man, he's doing cool stuff. Hmm. Or he's volunteering at this organization or he's doing that. How do I do that? You know, say, so here's how it is. Look at my pathway. I've made one for you. Right. Take it. Right. Awesome. If folks want to follow you, where do you um where where should they look for you? On Instagram, it's Shunka O'War. So S U N K A underscore O underscore war w a r well you made it easy for him yeah Yeah. (laughs) say it one more time shunka o war s-u-n-k-a underscore o underscore war w-a-r cool feel free and you can go to um pheasants forever and quail forever's websites and just type in bird dog in the city Mm -hmm. douglas spala Mm s-p-a-l-e Uh, like Tame the Impala, Spala. That's how <laughs> I, like, I always remember it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's always how I know who knows me really well, but if they say the name correctly. Yeah. <laughs> you can Google uh, Douglas's uh, last name. It'll pop up or Doug in the City, the series. Um, what states are you going to hunt? You, you know, you got 11 under Shunka. Yeah. Where, where are you hunting this season? So we hit Wisconsin already. We'll be, we're in Minnesota now, so we'll have, we'll have a – waterfowl and we're gonna do the opener so we'll have minnesota we'll come back to kansas Mm. in missouri we're going to denver so colorado we're going to montana that's a good tease right so there's there's a big project um with eric peterson we won't uh we won't steal eric's thunder but um something to be filmed here this season and uh, you can expect something more with Eric and Douglas in Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever next year. Yeah, so that I'm excited. I'm excited to get out to Montana. It's going to be a drive, but it'll be fun. Yeah. And then Nebraska. So those will be our states for this year. And we'll see as the season goes on, but that's enough for one year. When? Uh, oh, when, in Illinois. We're going to Illinois in December. When's the first hunt with Dad? It'll be opener, Nebraska which is the 30th of October, and then early November, 1st and 2nd, and then mid-November we're going up to Montana. And then he turns 70 this year, so we'll have a special hunt at home. His birthday is the 26th of November. Right so, around Thanksgiving. Yeah. So hopefully we can get a turkey too for him. A nice, <laughs> a nice birthday cake of turkey. Yeah. <clears throat> well, <laughs> I, I look forward to one day meeting your dad because he sounds like a pretty awesome guy. And um, thank you to your dad for – for raising a pretty awesome guy in his own right. It's good It's good to have you a part of the Habitat organization, Douglas. Um, final thoughts for us. I hope that what we do, what I do with my pup and what the Habitat organization does for the mission really inspires other people to, one, get involved, but two, just get out there and enjoy mm. life and nature and all the beauty that it can give us all the peacefulness that it can provide us and just do it Hmm. (laughs) and then on the flip on the flip side and i don't (laughs) that was a michael jordan yeah very well played coming full circle (laughs) and on the flip side i like eric does i'm a big fan of photography Mm. and as as i move forward i like to say while a picture is worth a thousand words 
I like to be the first 1,000. <laughs> so if I just I just enjoy I enjoy writing, and mm-hmm. I, not all my stuff's great, but I just enjoy writing yeah. and seeing those images. So yeah, kudos to all the photographers that really draw other people in. Right on. And for me, it's F8 and be there. <laughs> yeah, right? that's his, yeah. Put it on the simple button and yeah. just start clicking. Yeah. <laughs> Take 30 of them. One of them will, one will hopefully be good. Be good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you. Thanks for sharing your thank time you. and being here and, and making such a, um, um, you know, authentic commitment, but also incredibly important commitment. You're welcome. It, it's, it's an honor, and I'm, I'm glad to be here. So thank cool. you for having me on. Uh, folks, I will remind you once again, we need you the listener, to become a member of Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever. Get started in that way. Um, and then, you know, consider taking the next big leap and becoming a volunteer. Every chapter in the country uh, could use your help as a volunteer, putting on a banquet, doing a mentor hunt, um, introducing new people to conservation. Um, learn more at pheasantsforever.org, quailforever.org. Become a member there and get your journey started for Douglas Spala, our newest member of the National Board of Directors and person that I'm honored to uh, um, call a friend. You know, we've only known each other for a year now, but uh, um, I really, really appreciate the perspective and the enthusiasm uh, that he brings to the Upland. So I look forward to uh, having him on the podcast again in the in the future. Uh, for Bob St. Pierre, that's me, for Douglas Spala, um, I'm reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks. <laughs>